0: Um, all right. Well, uh, hello. <laughs> hello. Welcome to today's episode of Juice of the Numbers: Your Statistics and Sports Podcast. I am your host Joshua Tracy, and I am your host Corwin Heller. And um, it's it's uh, it's been a long week, folks. Um, it is it is November fourth, six thirty p.m. ish here on the East Coast. Um, despite what they've been saying, the pandemic did not go away November 4th. We're still here, still at home. Um, and uh, I don't know about you, Corwin, but I am exhausted. <laughs> Have you been, did you stay up late and or wake up early
1: for election results? I stayed up late. Um, I honestly thought I wasn't going to be able to sleep last night and ended up sleeping Beautifully. Uh, took off work today because I knew I'd be up late and knew I may very well be quite depressed after, you know, seeing results today. So I just thought, let's play it safe. Let's take off work and had a a fairly relaxing, very needed day off. And uh, it, it went well, you know, you got to sleep in a little bit. And that's always uh, that always does wonders for you.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that that is good. I'm glad you uh, were able to make it up a little bit. I I surprised myself by going to bed at a reasonable hour, like 11, wow. um, but I woke up at 4am um, and great. could not get back to sleep, but luckily for me it was a painfully slow day at work, so I didn't have to do much. But, um, in case you haven't gotten the reference, folks, the United States um, general election is happening as we're recording this and as it releases tomorrow morning or Thursday morning if you're listening to this it will probably still be happening. And we're not here to talk politics because that is a different podcast that we do not run for good reason. Um <laughs> <laughs> but um it is however one of the most anticipated television events of every 4 years. Um it feels a little bit reductionist to say television events. However, it is relevant to say television event because yesterday, uh, Tuesday, November 3rd, Election Day, it's been on the calendar for a long time. Um, in some ways, it's been on the calendar since like 1776 <laughs> or 1789. I forget which one. Doesn't really matter. Um, the MLB decided to have the Gold Glove Awards <laughs> on election night at like 8 p.m.
1: Who I, I honestly just this? was, I was like scrolling through Twitter and just saw that, you know, Trent Grisham won, you know, spoiler alert, we're going to be talking about it in 10 seconds. Um, but I saw that he was one of the winners and was just like, what the, what, why did this get leaked? And then I saw the rest of it as, no, that's just when they're releasing this.
0: Yeah, and, I, I'm
1: no, sorry, go ahead. It's just one of those things where it's like, wow, like maybe they thought everyone was going to be glued to Twitter and glued to their phones, which they were. But like, you really think that's going to be the best time to do it? Yeah, you I had to kind draw, you know, get that drum beaten for, you know, oh, baseball still got it. No, it's like, oh, cool. Cold. Where's nice? Now let's see what else is actually happening in the world.
0: I don't know if I had missed the announcement in the flurry of political tweets that are you know, crowding my timeline, which those are there whether you follow political ap- accounts this season or not, um, or if um, they just did a terrible job marketing it, which would not be unusual for the MLB. Um, Because they are bad. They are so bad at this. And I I can't imagine there was any strategy in the decision, you know, to, to your idea of, hey, maybe they were just hoping you'd be on Twitter. I can't imagine there was any thought to that decision. And my God, I understand that in MLB's book, they were probably just like, hey, you know, uh, Tuesday, November 3rd is X number of days after the conclusion of the last possible game of the World Series, the Potential Game 7. So we'll just put it for that day. And nobody looked and they said, yeah, and then wheels were too far in motion for them to course correct. But at the same time, man, how do you let that happen? How? I get it's just the gold gloves. And of all the awards that we are awaiting in this season, it is the least significant. You know, I'd say Silver Slugger is at the bottom of the poll. Gold Glove, I'll give a slight edge to. And then, you know, MVPs and Cy Youngs and Rookies of the Year and all that stuff, way more important. But still, man, you got to squeeze every bit of juice out of the, the, the television content you have in the offseason, especially if you're trying to actually appeal to younger audiences. Or, or in this instance, audiences because everyone and their fucking mother is watching the goddamn election. I mean, my God, it's just so emblematic of everything wrong with baseball management that they just didn't give a shit. Cause that's, that's all I can imagine this really came down to. They just didn't
1: give a shit
0: and they should give a shit.
1: Out of all the news leading up to the election and how scared everyone was of, how things were going to go hectically wrong. How in the world did 2020 end up with a better run election than baseball season? Like, my goodness. I I know, man. How – I know we say this every time something like this happens, but how do you, as a professional baseball league – fuck up so goddamn badly so consistently that this stuff is a goddamn nightmare every every, i just it's unreal
0: I, i know and and the thing about it is you if you if there was ever a time to make special exceptions you know being like look we don't usually do this but we're gonna do uh, the Gold Glove Awards in the same day as the Rookie of the Year Awards later in the week. We'll just do the Gold Glove super early. You know, mm-hmm. that's, everyone would get it, man. Because yeah, like, absolutely. so we're, you know, we're going to talk about the the NFL trade deadline soon. The trade deadline was also on Tuesday. Yeah? Uh, yes. But the trade deadline ended at what, like three o'clock in the afternoon? Uh,
1: four. To say four?
0: four? Even better. And yeah, that, that's not gonna conflict with anybody trying to get ready for the election. That's not gonna interfere with anything. And so for NFL's instance, obviously it wasn't, I don't think, so meticulously planned to be like, we're gonna end it four hours before polls close. But I would say that like having having an event just not be in direct contrast to one of the biggest events of the millennium works in your favor so you people were able to actually spend time going ah here is what is happening in the trade deadline that is now done and now here is what is happening with the election and at that time the only posts i saw about the gold glove awards were from baseball players on twitter shitting on the gold glove awards for holding their ceremony during the election
1: Yeah, I mean, there's nothing to really add. That's literally just as simple as it was and how it went down. And everyone collectively just went, are you fucking kidding me? And Rob Manfreds was sitting back
0: there counting his dollars and said, what, is something happening today? I'm still going to be rich and white tomorrow. It is, oh, God. He is the worst. He's so bad, man. That's what I'm talking about, man. Like this is something Corwin and I talk about all the time, is that just because you're making money now doesn't mean you can't be making more money doing something better. There, there is a very obvious opportunity here for the MLB to be selfish and have made more money by doing this at a more conducive time to people's schedule, which is not during the election. It would have been so easy for them to get higher ratings by very simply... Not doing this during the election. It's really that easy. What is good for the goose is good for the gander. Like, don't you want... I know you want money. Don't you want more money? Make better
1: choices. What if we just don't give it to him? What if we just say, hey, you're done making money now. You've had your chance. He gave you so many options to make even more. And to have your little, you know, competition league. But we're taking over. Just let NBA take over. Let Adam Silver run the show. He'll figure out how to play baseball because, you know, that big head of his has got to be able to retain some information. And we'll just be better off as a group. We'll take a year or two of growing pains. Don't get me wrong. But we'll get there.
0: Oh, man. Don't you tempt me with a good time. (laughs) Oh. The worst, man. The fucking worst. I anyway,
1: thinker.
0: shall we, um, I guess, talk about these gold glovers real quick before we move on to the um, NFL trade deadline?
1: Yeah, might as well.
0: All right, so Corner and I are talking about the gold glovers only because we do not pick those ahead of time, the way we pick out our Rookie of the Year's and MVPs and yada, yada, yada. So hopefully by the next time we do a it's Wednesday night episode... First. Huh?
1: You're skipping over the best part. I am?
0: Um, I mentioned the bisque. (laughs) Anyway, um, so we are going to wait until the totality of those are announced so that we can give a full rundown of our awards predictions and World Series predictions uh, versus reality, as well as our 10 bold predictions versus how we fared. So anyway, on to the Gold Glove winners. For anyone unaware, I don't know how you're listening to this podcast. Uh, But gold gloves are assigned to the um, best player defensively at their position in each league, um, barring the DH in the American League, because that motherfucker don't field. The DH does not wear a glove. (laughs) Um, That being said, let's get started. The 2020 American League gold glove pitcher is griffin canning of the los angeles los angeles angels angles on gels um he had uh 1.1 war on the season and i wonder how much of that's d war does that even show up uh i don't see it <laughs> so i'm gonna say no <laughs> um I don't register Griffin Canning as being a good defender, which I'm not saying makes him bad. It just makes me saying I don't think of him at all. Do you? Not really. All right. Glad. I mean, it's one of
1: those things where it's like, I know Griffin Canning, the player. I know him, you know, through fantasy and just through following baseball this year. You know, whatever. At no point did I think, ah, yes. I think he's a shoo-in for the Gold Glove.
0: Yeah, you know, he he's not like um uh, or Tanaka or Dallas Keuchel, who are dudes that you always think of as being, like, good defenders. Um, I don't really care about this, but it feels like Angels fans can use all the wins they can get. So good for you, Angels fans. Um, the National League pitcher who uh, is our Gold Glove winner this year is Max Fried of the Braves. Sure.
1: Yeah. He had a great season, so I'm glad he got it.
0: Yeah, good for you, buddy. Um, the American League catcher, Gold Glove catcher, is Roberto Perez, who of the Cleveland Indians, who finished the season with zero point one WAR, um, almost all of that coming from his D WAR at zero point six.
1: Uh, I mean, this is his eighth win in the last nine years. Um, he's you know. Uh sorry, I'm very stupid. I'm mixing I'm adding Salvador Perez's.
0: I know, um, I had a ahead. I had a um a fucking melt not melt them, but like like I had to do a double take. I'm like oh, shit, yeah. which Perez are I, you about to talk about? Like
1: I was audibly like trying to like hold in like my shock of like, are you kidding me? Like I've been following the Indians. I don't remember Roberto Perez like even playing enough to be a part of it, let alone being in the league for 9 years. Um but this is his second straight win for Roberto Perez. Um but I mean, I think he was the favorite going into the season, and uh, was the lead all the way through.
0: Yeah, yeah, not not a huge surprise here. the um, The catcher, the National League catching counterpart, um, the award goes to Tucker Barnhart. This is his second Gold Glove award. He finishes his season with zero point eight WAR on the season, zero point nine D WAR. So good for you oh, the, oh Tucker Barnhart of the Cincinnati Reds. I'm skipping these team names. Sorry, buddy. Um, So there is that. Hey. Uh, That brings us to first base in the American League, our first base gold glove winner. first time winner is um, Seattle Seahawk Evan White, who finished the season with a negative 0.1 war and an accompanying D war of 0.4.
1: Yeah, I honestly can't say I followed much of Evan White throughout the season. I know he's a young Lit- guy and you know it comes with his ups and downs, but I honestly didn't think he was having that spectacular of a year.
0: I literally haven't don't think i I've heard this name mentioned before. Um he finished the season with a sixty seven OPS plus. So I'm tempted to say that's okay. bad. Um
1: but-, tempted, but you're not gonna commit to it?
0: No, 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 no. I'm going to drag this out as long as possible, like Arizona. Uh, Hey, hey, it's topical. It's happening, folks. Um, His National League counterpart for the third time in the last five years. Oh, actually, he tied with Friedman. I didn't realize you could tie. So never mind. For the fourth time in the last five years, Anthony Rizzo. Uh, This is his fourth gold glove. Ooh. Um, he finished uh, Anthony Rizzo of the Chicago Cubs. God damn it, Josh. Um, he finished the season with 0. 0.8 war. Um, of that, 0.0, 0 came from D War. No D War. Hilariously enough, Anthony Rizzo, four gold glove awards, Dwar, negative 0. 0.1 lifetime. <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah, I mean, are you surprised by Anthony? Like, I'm surprised he has a career negative Dwar. But are you, you know, inherently surprised by him winning it this year? Ah, uh, had some bad years defensively.
0: It it's tough to say with first base because first base is such not a defensive position. Mm-hmm. You know, like we're getting into the more I- interesting defense, the more like eye testy um, defensive positions. Catcher, it can be tough to see unless it's obvious with like pass balls. Um and even, and <laughs> yeah. Um sorry, Yadi. I guess go fuck yourself. Um but for real, go fuck yourself. Um but you know, and even then with the pass balls, it can be tough like in your if you have to process that in your mind of like, all right, was that a pass ball? Or was that a wild pitch? Like, where are we at with this? You know, aka the Gary Sanchez conversation. Um mm-hmm first base, it's like the same thing as like, uh, did he not come up with that because it was a bad throw? Or did he not come up with that pick because he's a bad first baseman? You know, like, where are we assigning blame? But when it comes to second, third, short in the outfield, it's usually more obvious. So the idea that Rizzo had a zero war season or whatever, or the fact that fucking Evans uh, or White, Evan White won it in Seattle, and I don't know who that is doesn't surprise me, given that position. You know, it's just, it's just mm-hmm. so random.
1: Yeah, I feel you. I don't disagree.
0: Cool, buddy. I'm glad we're on the same page. Um, mm-hmm. All right, then let's take this over to second base. The American League Gold Glove winner, first time, Cesar Hernandez of the Cleveland Indians. That's the Indians' second win of the night. Cesar finished the 2020 season with 1.5 war and a D-war of 0. 0.8. Uh good for you, Cesar.
1: Yeah. Again, yeah, I, I didn't really notice game. that his defense was, you know, exceptional this year. Um, for what I did watch, you know, of the Indians, but he's always been a fairly good defender in my mind. At least I, I think of him as being a good defender, so
0: which is really um, how much it's just really what counts when it comes to the gold glove award.
1: Right. And I mean that's how the voting goes in the first place. So
0: Yeah. Truly. And that's gonna go the same for the next guy. The National League counterpart, second baseman out of St. Louis, two-time, his second goal glove, Colton Wong, he finished the season with a 1.1 war and a DWAR of also 0.8. Um, another guy I also think of as being defensively good, but I, you know, that's just what I kind of uh, have in my head.
1: I definitely know Colton Wong's a, a plus defender. Um, I will say... Did he get released, or was his option just not picked up for next year?
0: Option not picked up. Okay. Which makes sense, but also hurts.
1: Right. And, you know, looking at the numbers and seeing it all, like, I don't blame them. Because while he is a a very good defender, uh, offensively, he definitely did not have himself a great year. Uh, I really wouldn't even say he had himself a good year. That being said, you know. The year it is, 2020, I don't know if I could blame anyone for having a down year. Um, but Cardinals, other otherwise.
0: Yeah, I mean, I get it. He's only been better than league average twice in his career. And while he's a good defender, and he's, not, he's never been a terrible bat. He's just only very rarely been a plus bat. Um, when you are as weirdly good at making your players good, seemingly by will, as the Cardinals are, might as well Saviors if, if the Cardinals are gonna spend money, they're gonna spend money on obvious quality, or at least what they perceive to be that, like Paul Goldschmidt. Mm-hmm. Um because right. they are the a weird small market team that never feels small market because they're always good the way that a Yankees or a Red Sox or a Dodgers are, but always on a smaller budget. Anyway, moving moving on. Um the American League third-base Gold Glove winner went to Isaiah Kiner Falefa. Uh, this is his first Gold Glove award. He finished the season with a 1.8 wins above replacement and a 1.3 DWAR. This is a guy who is good at third base.
1: Really? I would have thought.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's literally the only thing he truly does well. If he wasn't a good third baseman, he has a career. So he had an OPS plus in 2020 of 91. He has a career OPS plus of 77. Isaiah, dude, Isaiah Connor falefa is not a good hitter. But he is a really good fielder.
1: Hmm. I'm trying to look through his stats now. and I mean, granted, he's still a young guy. But, uh, yeah, that's that's not encouraging, the numbers that he's rocking. Granted, you can get a lot worse than 91. And, uh, you know, we both, I used to be a fan of the Pirates, so I know that very well.
0: Yeah, well, Um, in 2019, his OPS Plus was 58, so yes, it can get worse. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, that's rough. Rough, my guy. Uh, The National League winner uh, for Gold Glove at third base is the least surprising pick of the night, Nolan Arenado, his eighth Gold Glove award. Also a three-time Platinum Glove winner, which goes to the best fielder in all of baseball. Nolan Arenado of the Colorado Rockies. Oh, Isaiah kind of Falefa of the Texas Rangers. I kind of remember these fucking team names. Um, or to say them anyway. His Dwar war this season, aronado 1.7. Um, his total war for the season, 1.4. Not his best offensive season as he came in at an 84 OPS plus, but the defense certainly is still there in what, is, what was definitely a very weird season.
1: <laughs> no kidding. Um, honestly, don't know the answer to this. Did they release the platinum glove winners?
0: I checked, and they have not so far, which is weird because I thought they did it the same night as the gold gloves.
1: Uh, they're um, waiting for the midterm elections. Yeah, yeah, they're they're waiting for the actual
0: um, uh, acceptance speech <laughs> by whomever wins, so they can sneak the platinum glove into there, try to siphon away some viewers from whomever is giving their acceptance speech. Anyway. Um, oh, boy. Don't you hate it? Don't you want to die? All right. The American League. Wow, really? Um, Shortstop Gold Glove Award this season went to Seattle Mariners again. J.P. Crawford, his first Gold Glove Award. Um, He finished the season with 1.4 wins above replacement. Zero point nine, dwar. um, yeah, I he's a he's a young dude. I totally forgot he was on the Mariners, um, and yet here we are.
1: Um, yeah, I honestly, uh, when I first saw this, I was thinking immediately, uh, Brandon Crawford, and I was like, how the fuck did that ninety-year-old man win a Gold Glove this year, and how did I not even know? He was still in baseball. I mean, I know he's still in baseball, but you know what I mean. Yeah, Um, I know what you mean. But no, this is not Brandon Crawford. GP. This is the other Crawford
0: on the West Coast that plays shortstop. Because nothing is going to be easy.
1: He's uh, beating out uh, Kenner Favela by a single OPS. (laughs) I love that terminology. One
0: OPS, please, sir. Of course. Nothing but. Uh, the nationally counterpart uh, for the shortstop Gold Glove Award. This is his first Gold Glove somehow uh, from the Chicago Cubs, Javier Baez. Um, he finished the season with 0.6 war on the year. Um, his Dwar came in at 1.0. If you're going to yourself, wow, how bad was he? His OPS plus this season was 59. The worst of his career. barring. Um, his rookie season in 2014.
1: So that, that I did not know. That is fresh news. And boy, that is fucking insanity.
0: Yeah. Yes, it is. And what's crazy about it especially isn't even necessarily the drop-off in, in batting average and, and on-base percentage, um, which are tied together, but I figured I would just say both. Um, it's, it's really the, the the drop in his slugging. You know, his slugging had improved just about every season up until this year um, when his um, his batting average dropped 78 points from 281 to 203. His OBP dropped 78 points from 316 to 238. But his slugging dropped 171 points from 531 to 360. So you look at the difference between uh, 2019 batting average and OBP and 2020 batting average and OBP, and you go, "All right, well, he seems to be walking at a pretty similar rate. It's just the hits weren't there this season. But with the hits being there, this the the hits that he got this season just there just wasn't a lot of them, or at least they they weren't where they usually are in terms of uh, distance, strength. Mm-hmm. But anyway." Again, weird year. It's tough to judge anybody too harshly.
1: Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Oh, uh, Javier Baez, come back. You make baseball more fun.
0: Every time I say his name, I really want to say Javier Bardem.
1: I'm uh, just, 100%. Dude, it's name. just that's just right there. There's no reason it shouldn't be Bardem.
0: Just yeah, change Javier, your name. change your name.
1: Change Do it. Us all be, you would be the most fun player in baseball. And on the silver screen.
0: Yeah, there you go. Get All you need to do is break your nose and set it back really poorly.
1: Um, Speaking of which, tune in to Juicing the Big Screen.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our movies review and discussion podcast this week on the show. Corwin, I forgot what we picked.
1: Uh, I haven't watched any yet, so I don't remember.
0: I haven't either. Shit, this is a really bad plug, but check oh, out the show anyway. I picked, anyway.
1: Uh, I picked uh, Indiana Jones. One of them. Yes,
0: you did. You picked Last uh, Crusade. Thank you. I don't remember what movie I picked. Hmm. Doggy afternoon.
1: This is good. Doggy afternoon.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you get what you pay for. And if you're going, I didn't pay for this. Yeah, you didn't. So shut the fuck up. Uh, Luis Robert, rookie, wins his first, obviously, Golden Glove um, for the American League center fielder this season. Luis Robert coming out of the Chicago. White Sox soon to be uh, prodigy or soon to be uh, m- uh, student of the wise Tony La Russa. Oh my God, we even talked about the Tony La Russa hiring. Holy shit, we got to talk about that at some point. Anyway, um, he finished the season with a 1.6 WAR and a DWAR of 1.0. Dude was truly spectacular this year. Really flashed a ton of leather on uh, in the outfield. Um, Super fun hitting season, even though he only managed to start it off hot and kind of fizzled out, uh, but still finished above a 100 OPS+. plus. But it was great in the field the whole way through. So, kudos to you, Louis. Kudos. His National League counterpart was uh, San Diego Padre, Trent Grisham, center fielder. This is his first gold glove. Uh, Trent Grisham finished the season with 2.2 war way to go buddy um and a d war of 0.9 i know nothing about trent grisham corwin did he deserve it
1: absolutely uh i mean in my mind you know watching him nearly every day he played it he played you know out of his mind uh all season long um and was honestly one of the padres best defensive players um i will say that uh it wasn't the biggest surprise. We knew he was a, a plus defensive player uh, coming into the season, but uh, the the way he performed uh, was admirable. Really enjoyed watching him play.
0: Right on. Right on. Uh, in left field this season for the uh, American League, retiring Kansas City outfielder Alex Gordon takes home his eighth Gold Glove award. Um, he also has one Platinum Glove Award. He finished the season this year with a negative 0.1 WAR. Um, his WAR this season was also negative 0.1. Um, this feels very symbolic more than anything else. But at the same time, that's part of what makes baseball fun. Um, and if we're going to give away symbolic awards that um, probably shouldn't be given to that person, A meaningless award like Gold Glove feels like the right one to do that with, so I'm all for it.
1: Yeah, I'll agree. Why not?
0: Yeah, everyone likes Gordo.
1: Yeah, it's going to be sad to see him go. It doesn't feel like he's old enough in my mind for him to retire, but yeah, it never did. Um, in charge of that? (laughs) No, no, we are definitely as not in charge as we are of many things. We
0: are definitely not in charge with of whether or not Alex Gordon decides to play baseball tomorrow or next exactly. year. Uh, all Go right. going in and
1: asking us if we are. Because we're not.
0: Hey, if you put me in left field, I promise you I'll be bad. Um, if you're into that. <laughs> uh, the yeah. the nationally counterpart in left field this season was St. Louis Cardinal Tyler O'Neal taking in his first Gold Glove award. Finished the season for St. Louis at 0.6 war. His D was 0.8. I do not watch Cardinals games, but I'm going to assume he's fine.
1: Yeah, I go out of my way to not watch Cardinals games, so I know nothing about this man.
0: Nice. Uh, all right, the last category we have before we turn to the NFL trade deadline, the right field category for the Gold Glove Award uh, in the American League. It went to Texas Ranger. Joey Gallo taking in his first, second Texas Ranger of the night. Uh, he finished his uh, 2020 season with 1.2 war of that. 1.0 z- was from Dwar. Uh, it's really interesting because I do not typically think of Joey Gallo as a good right fielder. Um, I don't think of him as a bad one either. I just don't think of him as like a good one. But, uh, hey. Exactly the same. Here he is. He did it. Um, I also... Don't think of him strictly as an outfielder. And yet, this season, um, in his 57 games, he played 53 of them in right field.
1: Yeah, I always imagine him as a first baseman first. And, first base DH. Uh, yeah. Yep. But uh, here we are. Again, how little we actually know about baseball.
0: Yeah, one war in general. Dwar is such a tricky stat because like, seeing someone with 0.8 Dwar in a short season You might be tempted to go, oh, so that's like 2.4 Dwar in a full season. But the reality is like, no, like honestly, 0.8 or in Joey Gallo's case, 1.0 Dwar is like a really good regular length season. Um, It goes to show how just tough it is to be exceptionally good at defense in the MLB, while it is also so easy to be bad. Um, cause you gotta think one of the old fashioned ways of keeping track of how good or bad someone was in the field was by fielding percent, which is exactly how it sounds out of the number of attempts you have to field a ball. How often do you actually do it? And you can look this up. It's still kept track of on baseball reference, even though it's pretty pointless to actually look at, but like, you'll see the average is usually like 950. you know, that means out of every thousand balls, 950 of them get fielded. Um, that are hit to your direction, so it's a that fifty is a really small amount. You know, that is that is literally five percent. Um, so you have to be significantly better than a five percent margin of error to get a decently high Dwar, which is tough because there's not too much room to grow there. But there's a humongous amount of floor um, with with that being worse than 95% because most numbers, 1 to 100, are below 95.
1: That is some excellent math, Josh. Excellent math. Thanks, buddy.
0: <laughs> um. All right, last one. Uh, right field in the National League, uh, Gold Glove, fifth Gold Glove award, first in the National League, went to brand spanking new L.A. Dodger and two-time World Series winner Mookie Betts, Marcus Lynn Betts, um, finished the season with a 3.4 war, fucking dumb, and a 0.8 Dwar Mookie, one of the great outfielders um, in baseball today, is an obvious um, in his deserving of this award
1: uh when are we going to start talking about mookie as like not just you know an all-time right fielder or you know one of the best right fielders L fielders in the game right now one of the best players in the game right now is you know when are we going to start talking about him as one of the best all-time
0: oh i think i think he's definitely a, very much so in that conversation it's so tough when you have a guy like mike trout mm-hmm. because every and i'm not saying it's right but what happens a lot is you go, oh man, Mookie's having a great season. He had like a 149 OPS plus, which I think was the actual number I left his baseball reference page, but I think that was about it. And you go, like, yeah, well, Mike Trot's having a down year at 162, which is accurate and insane, but also not exactly germane to the conversation because we're talking about Mookie. It's it's like Mookie Betts is probably gonna finish his career in like the top 50 outfielders of all time at bare minimum and that's saying something the mlb outfield is one of the best offensive categories in the sport so like being top 50 is really saying something and i think that's being very conservative on mookie bets the problem is you're looking at mike trout who's going to probably end up top 10 and he he just he he just log jams the conversation you know
1: Uh, i'm 100 percent with you yeah. Oh I man. I just uh it's one of those things where like it happens in every sport. It happens anytime you have two superstars at you know similar positions or similar roles where if you are one of the best you get compared to the best even if it's you know also the caveat of uh you know you're better than 99.99% of all players to play before you you still have to be compared to the five right there ahead of you. Um and that's that's a that's a terrible shame because it, it shouldn't you shouldn't have to hold everyone to the same standard that you hold the literal greatest of all time because there's been what, tens of thousands of players to come through MLB?
0: I believe nineteen thousand five hundred ish.
1: There you go. That's in the tens of thousands. Um it shouldn't have to all be compared to the very in, like specific one individual best player. Or at least in this case, you know, of the generation. For sure.
0: Um, I think I think LA is going to be great for, for the MOOC recognition. Obviously, Boston is no small media market. It's huge. But I think um, having MOOC be in number two, of the uh, media markets with LA being just behind New York um, on a team that literally just won the world series and being That's the great. best defensive outfielder in the bunch. Whereas he was always playing second fiddle defensively to Jackie Bradley jr. In Boston, because JBJ is, Very I mean, beautiful. my God, he's so fucking talented in the outfield. Um, that every time you talk about Mookie's defense, you would talk about the guy standing, you know, a hundred feet over to his, to his right in JBJ. So I think, He'll be a little bit more of a standout since Cody Bellinger also, no slouch defensively, um, but not, not JBJ. Um, and mm-hmm. Mookie still still being the standout MVP candidate on that team, even though he went to a team with other MVPs. It, yeah, It'll be... Uh, we're in for a, a really uh, high point of Mookie Betts' appreciation, which I'm so glad I can finally participate in.
1: <laughs> yep. I am very much in the boat with you.
0: Well, uh, all right, buddy. I know I said we should talk about Tony La Russa at some point, but that conversation can certainly be saved for later. Um, any other baseball topics before we pivot over to the NFL trade deadline?
1: Um, you know, I'm going to go with no right now. I, I think uh, everything that we need to talk about for baseball, we can hold off for the bull predictions episode. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, certainly. There's nothing, nothing more immediate nor pressing um in the world of baseball today so that being said corwin um tell me about some of the bigger moves we saw from the nfl trade deadline what stood out to you uh that did or did not happen
1: um i know you know first off we could start with a a smaller trade that we are both connected to um because it was the first one i saw um avery williams Gets moved to the Pittsburgh Steelers from the New York Jets. Um, honestly, this is a, a very surprising move on the Steelers' part because I, I very much did not expect them to make any moves. They typically do not, and really the um, the only time I've seen them in recent history make any significant move was for you know making Fitzpatrick and then moving up for Devin Bush. Granted, you know the Steelers sent. A fifth round pick in 2022 in exchange for Williams and a seventh round pick in 2022 so so value-wise you know as good of a player Avery Williams is Williamson is excuse me uh the capital given up wasn't significant in any you know meaningful way um not to you know to diminish the players taken in the fifth and seventh round but they're not about to make a massive impact on the team the way uh, a guy like Williamson will, uh, at least while Devin Bush is hurt. So um, all I know about him uh, is that he is a sure tackler, very good in run defense, a little iffy, um, but, you know, not a major liability in pass coverage. And that's pretty much all we need him to be. Uh, I kind of view him as being, you know, uh, a, 2B to Robert Spillane's 2A right now uh, alongside Vince Williams as a inside linebackers for the Steelers. So, you know, they're pushing for a championship undefeated team right now last in the NFL. So I think them bolstering their weakest uh, position on defense with uh, a pick that, you know, by all means is not going to be an impact player for them anytime soon is, uh, is a fantastic dream.
0: Yeah, this is this is a trade that we talk about all the time of if you are bad and you are going to be bad for the rest of the season and you have players that have value elsewhere that you don't intend on carrying, fucking shed players. Um, and that's Avery Williamson. He's a guy that had value. A fifth-round pick in exchange for Avery Williams and a seventh-round pick. Um, is it much? No. no. Were you planning on re-signing Avery Williams? Probably not.
1: No.
0: Um, which yeah, is fine.
1: fine there if you wanted to, you know.
0: And another Sterling question. Uh, he's he's a good player. He's not a great player. Otherwise, we would have gotten more than a fifth round pick. But he's a, he's a really reliable dude that found a role on a really good team. He's also a really good dude. Um, very happy for him that he's been getting put in, in, a, in a much better situation than the Jets have. Um, And again, this is what we want to. This is what we expect to to see. We expect to see players who have some value on a different team being traded to that one of those teams to recoup something of value. Um, So, as a Jets fan, super happy. For for uh, a Steelers fan, I would be very happy um, to get a depth piece. This is not a guy. uh, You know, this isn't a guy who's going to like get your interceptions and a bunch of fumbles and and sacks and shit but he's like a really he's a really reliable
1: he's a role player piece
0: oh absolutely and he's very good at it and i would be i've been happy to have him on the jets for the past couple seasons i think you're gonna be happy to have him on the Steelers.
1: yeah i mean honestly the way jets fans raved about him uh in the immediate aftermath of the trade uh and you know the the positive words uh, and well wishes for him going to a contender and, you know, being able to to have that hopefully sparkling note on his career. Um, uh, I'm really uh, happy to see him come along if, uh, if he's that well loved and appreciated.
0: Yeah, definitely going to be a huge boost to the locker room. Uh, not that I think it needs it right now, since, you know, you guys are winning.
1: But uh, by all means, yeah. Steelers locker room. Uh, you know, without Mister Big Chest there, they're uh, they're in pretty good shape.
0: I would also like to take a brief moment to eat a, eat my hat um, in regards to Mike Tomlin because that whole um, Lev Bell and and um, Antonio Brown situation of a few years ago. I I was saying like, hey, you know, we might be seeing the end of Mike Tomlin if this locker room shit keeps up and the Steelers don't start winning more games because that was the season they went like. Eight and eight, and it was like, oh, this is finally going to have a losing season for the first time in like 20 years. Um, and they haven't. They are undefeated. Um, I am so prepared to eat my hat on Mike Tomlin. Um, yeah. I think he's such, God damn it. I, I, like, I feel bad I've ever underestimated him. He's such a good head coach, and I look forward to the day he gets his um, bust placed in Canton um, as it will be rightly deserved. And kudos to him Mm -hmm. on having such an amazing season. So much of this belongs to him.
1: I mean, obviously, I I wouldn't be, uh, you know, that quick to put him, you know, in Canton after the start to his career, which has been nothing short of exceptional. Um, I mean, he's been the coach since 2004, 2005. Uh, I honestly don't remember. Um, But he has been... Uh, one of you know the top three uh, winningest coaches in that time period, and he has still yet to have a losing season in the NFL, uh, and that's just something that you really can't underappreciate because of how in, like how at, like truly insane that kind of statistic is because that is just a, a run that you do not see ever, uh, considering, you know, I think he's uh, now one or two seasons behind the all-time lead, and I honestly don't know who it is. I probably should have looked that up because I knew we were going to be talking about it, but um, Mike Tomlin, love him to death, Uh, and it being the Steelers, they don't fire coaches. You know, we talk about the Jets a lot, how they don't fire coaches midseason. The Steelers just don't fire coaches. I mean, they've had three – Uh, In the past, like, 65, 70 years, some crazy number that, you know, it sounds like I'm pulling it out of my ass, which I absolutely am, but it is still going to be extremely close to the actual number because they've had three. Um, So, you know, uh, love Mike Tomlin. That's really all you need to say.
0: Absolutely. All right. Shall we talk about a few more uh, trade deadline
1: moves? Sure. You want to pick uh, which one we go to next?
0: Yeah, I got a, I got um, a list up, so I guess we'll just take it chronologically in terms of uh, most recent and work our way back sure. until we just stop caring. Uh, for me. New England acquired wide receiver Isaiah Ford from Miami in exchange for the 2022 sixth-round pick. And God damn it, do you care?
1: <laughs> not, not even – the slightest. Um, I will say I would much rather, you know, as a Patriots fan, not as a Patriots fan, if I was a Patriots fan, if I had a choice between this trade for Isaiah Ford for a sixth round pick or the trade made last year for Mohamed Sanu for a second, I'm going to take this literally 100 times out of 100 because the value there is a fair value. You know, Isaiah Ford isn't going to be, you know, anything, you know not going to be winning you any game single-handedly. Um, you know, he's not going to have the track record that a guy like Mohamed Sanu had. And he's not going to be able to be your backup quarterback like Mohamed Sanu. But guess what? It's not a sec- second-round pick. Um, so I really can't blame either side. It's it's really just a, a wash because of just how insignificant these uh, these two players are
0: agreed i i would like to ask or uh, right um i would like to 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 make a brief tangent um because it stuck out to me the other day um bill Belichick was trying to defend himself uh and the patriots poor start to the season by talking about how you know they really sold out to spend um a lot of money to win their super bowls and to make the their appearances that they did in recent years and you know now they have a reduced quality of staff because they just, I guess, in his mind, can't afford it. Um, And that was confusing to me because the Patriots are notorious for not spending money on big-name players um, Mm -hmm. just to not do it. And I looked it up. I have it right in front of me. New England Patriots this season have the fifth most cap space in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Um, They have $25.7 million available this season. And if you're like, well, what about next year? Next year, they have even more. They have the fourth most cap space in the NFL next season uh, with more money coming off the rolls, and they'll have about $69 million worth of cap space in 2021. So I don't know where Belichick got that narrative, and it's kind of weird because that's not usually the kind of guy he is.
1: Um, I think I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, and make a very, very bold statement that this is officially the beginning of the end for Bill Belichick. Um, I think Bill the makes up for a you know significant lack of capability of Bill the GM, if that sentence made any you know inherent sense. Uh, I think he's a tremendous coach, or you know, I don't even want to say arguably, he is the greatest coach of all time. Uh, I'll you know fight on that hill. but man, he him as a GM is not anything exceptional, especially not up to the reputation he carries as both head coach and general manager. Um and I would you know go so far as to say he is a a bottom half of the league below average as a GM. You know, he is very good at coaching to his players' strengths. Uh, don't get me wrong. But when it comes to actual talent evaluation and free agent signings and drafting, honestly, free agent signings, I think he is still above average. He knows what guys work well with him. But, I mean, as far as drafting, I mean, we've all seen his track record. It's not good, um, you know, as far as draft picks and their hit rate Uh, is concerned so leading into this rebuilding era where you know it's pretty clear that even with cam newton their team isn't able to perform up to the levels they were over the past two decades with hall of fame goat quarterback tom brady at the helm um i'm not willing to cast them off as complete failures or i'm not going to say that oh belichick is only as good as Brady made him because that's not, you know, fair to either guy. Um, you know, I do expect them to very much improve, you know, as they are able to build a team that fits whatever their quarterback ends up being uh, rather than a team that fits Tom Brady and they are, start to spend some of this capital that they have. But I don't ever going to come close to a, a uh, championship, consistent championship. Um, that we had in the past couple of years.
0: Yeah, I, I, I've been, you know, I think that's a storyline that everyone's been following this season of, you know, is we talked about it before the season started. We haven't really talked about it since the season started, but we've talked about it before, um, you know, were the Patriots Bill Belichick and Tom Brady as a system QB or was Tom Brady carrying the Patriots? And I think what we're seeing from this season is that that was really just the ultimate symbiotic relationship Um, because Tom Brady is still good this season. He's not as good as he was on the, on the Patriots, but he's still a really good quarterback. Like he is, I think better than, huh?
1: He's also like 43.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, like the fact he's still this effective in his mid fucking forties is ridiculous. But the fact that he's good at all, um, I think really is a huge credit to him, um, and takes away a bunch of the narrative of Bill Belichick being bad. And if you look at Bill Belichick right now, yeah, his team's not doing very hot. Um, but at the same time, I think that the quality of the roster he's working with—he's th- basically coaching the fucking Jets right now, for being brutally fucking honest. But he's actually squeezing a couple wins out of that team. Um, they're not a on a—they're not a good team on paper. They're not a bad team but he is getting a lot out of those players i think he's getting more out of those players than almost any other head coach might um it's still not enough but he's getting i think a decent amount out of them but those two together man were just something else um i think tom i think tom took a lot of the pressure off of bill belichick to um be able to do whatever the hell he wanted on offense because Tom was just so capable of doing whatever needed to be done um whether it was simple or complicated making the easy throws or the tough decisions Tom was there for that and that's that's definitely showing up in Tampa and then Bill Belichick was able to scheme kind of however he wanted to around that and did um and I think that's really the the main difference not even that Bruce Arians is a is a bad schemer he is not he's a good coach um, but yeah but it's it's just those marginal differences um there and we're seeing a huge difference but in, in um the patriots play with the step down to cam newton which i don't even think would have been that big of a step down if he didn't get hurt um and then get COVID and miss a bunch of time and it's been kind of rough if you're cam newton and I, all the patriots defensive woes
1: i'm definitely one to you know believe that the recovery from COVID that he had to go through is far and away the biggest uh, impact, or has had the biggest impact on um, his play compared to any other injuries he might be going through.
0: I think I think it's a combination of that and not having a preseason while recovering from an injury. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, he didn't get that. And he looked really pretty sharp in his first couple games. And then he got sidelined from for, for COVID, had a comeback from that. That gave um, time that he wasn't able to Keep practicing, slow down. Like Cam Newton got dealt such a rough hand this year. Um, really unfair to him, but
1: it is what it is, I guess. Yeah, he's had some uh, rough hands dealt to him uh, throughout his entire career. Um,
0: yeah, said,
1: he also got like 200 grand to go to Auburn. So can't really argue that too much.
0: No, no. And he didn't dive on that football. Um. <laughs> Oh, suck it. Um, uh, Miami acquired running back DeAndre Washington and a 2021 seventh-round pick from Kansas City in exchange for the 2021 sixth-round pick. Do you give a shit?
1: Not really. I mean, Washington is a, a fine player. Um, I mean, compared to what's going on in that running back room in Miami right now, it, don't get me wrong, like, he's a guy that – could starter snaps. Uh but yeah, I, I just do not uh do not think that's a a major impact in any way.
0: Cool. Um the San Francisco 49ers acquired Kiko Alonso um and a 2020 fifth round pick which can become a 2021 fifth round pick with playing time thresholds from the New Orleans Saints in exchange for inside linebacker Quan Alexander. Corwin, do you care?
1: What a uh, what a way to bury the lead. It's like, oh yeah, Kiko Alonso trade instead of a, you know, Quan Alexander trade. Um, you know, it's one of these trades where San Francisco is obviously not competing in the same capacity they were last year. They are just one of the most injury tormented teams this season that, you know, you've seen in a single season. Just every major uh, player you can imagine has gotten hurt to some capacity, and um, it's definitely tough for them to get through it. You know, with Fred Warner there, Quan Alexander doesn't exactly have the same kind of role he would as, you know, the premier inside linebacker for them or, you know, whatever position you have, you know, Mike or Sam, wherever you end up playing him. Um, So I I think this is a a fair trade for both teams. I mean, Kiko Alonso's going to be nothing more than a depth piece for them he's not getting any starting minutes anytime soon um if ever uh so it's uh it's one of those trades where you don't really want to call it either a loser or a winner because it's not the most impactful uh trades in the world but i do think this is a, a fairly sizable upgrade for the saints themselves
0: yeah i think this is like a, a higher end Much higher end version of the Avery Williamson conversation we just had. Um, San Francisco isn't winning anything this season. Uh, It's not even necessarily because they're playing super poorly, but they're just in such a tough division. Um, Plus, the NFC on the high end has been phenomenal, and there's just there's not not a lot of hope there. Um, So, and yeah, and you know, New Orleans has a small and ever ever staying small playoff window or Super Bowl contention window, so long as Drew Brees continues to throw footballs for them. So, there you go. There you go. Uh, Los Angeles Chargers acquire a 2021 sixth-round pick in exchange for Desmond King, cornerback, who went to Tennessee. Do you care?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this is the most impactful trade that we have uh, at this deadline. Um, I Agreed. mean, two two years ago, Desmond King was an All-Pro nickelback for the Chargers. Uh, he still plays at an exceptionally high level. Um, you know, it's it's just a uh, you know, Lynn wasn't the biggest fan of him for whatever reason. Um, you know, you, you can't really get inside the mind of every coach and and really figure that out. But at the at the same time. This is tremendous value for uh, for the Titans being able to get King. Um, I just uh, I think Tennessee pulled off one of the, the best trades you could have here. I mean, granted, you know, if you're not a fan of him and the, the way King works in your system and you're not going to pay him next year and he's not going to have a major role to, you know, increase your – ability to get value for him in any capacity um yeah you got to make a trade and get what you can for him but i think he, they could have gotten much more for him
0: yeah this definitely feels more like a a culture decision than anything else which is easier to make when the chargers also aren't going to win anything they're currently last in the division at two and five um and while two and five is in the end of the world they're last in the division because the division's playing pretty well there's just no hope. It's the last year of his contract, and if you don't like a guy, why put up with him in a losing season when you could just get rid of him now and get something? So
1: right, this definitely
0: feels that. like that. Uh, all right, we have one. So we already talked about the Avery Williamson trade. There was one other trade that took place in the month of November, and we'll treat that as the cutoff point. Um, the Houston Texans acquired uh, a 2022 seventh-round pick in exchange for Eli Ankou going to Dallas. Um, defensive tackle Eli Anku going to Dallas.
1: Do you um, give a shit? There was absolutely no reason not to uh to cut this off sooner. <laughs> yeah, that's about what I thought.
0: Um, so it's not a trade deadline thing, but I I must say we have to talk about Josh McCown, right?
1: I think we should talk about Josh McCown, and have we talked about uh Antonio Brown yet? Coming back? I don't think we have.
0: Um so I can mention that I,
1: afterwards for sure.
0: All right, yeah, we can yeah. Um definitely more impactful than the Josh McCown one, but yeah, we'll we'll do that second. Um all right, so Josh McCown has signed with the Texans, man. He's uh he's still kicking around the NFL. He is forty-one years old. I don't think he's played for the Texans yet. So this, I believe, is a new team. Um, It is a one-year, $1.05 million contract. He's going to have a cap hit of $400,000. He'll be making $550,000 because it's going to be prorated. Um, And I don't understand why this is happening.
1: I guess that he is a better option than what else is out there. Is Deshaun Watson hurt? I'm sorry. Is Deshaun Watson hurt? That would be the second half of the. I don't know what the fuck is going on there. I mean, granted, you know, I know he was on. I want to say philadelphia's practice squad yeah i think you're right um he was on the practice squad you know basically staying ready on his own but also living i want to say in texas i think uh with his family coaching you know his son's like jv football team whatever you know it ends up whatever it was um Yeah, I I'm confused by this one. At least I just uh, I don't know. Like I get, like he's a good backup to have, and I get that he's better than other backup options around the NFL. But why, why would he a want to come back, and why would they bring him back, particularly when Deshaun Watson is playing exceptionally good football and that's not the issue with your team. That's not the reason you're losing. So, uh, that's really like the best I got is just you know, I don't fuck know. I
0: have no idea. All right, I got a couple points. The first one is that I find it hilarious that Josh McCown's son is on a JV football team because that is following in the McCown footsteps right there.
1: <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't want to throw that out there and, and really show. Anything. I have no idea if it's JV or. Fucking Marcy or whatever. I hope no it letter. is because that just is the a high most, school football team. Dude, that is
0: that is the most McCown thing that could possibly be happening. <laughs> like father like son starting quarterback on the JV football team. Um so as it stands right now, AJ McCarron is the backup quarterback for Deshaun Watson, and that feels right. No. Um I just don't think that an eleven year older quarterback is going to do you anything cuz like the only thing i can think of is like well you know Texans are really bad and maybe they just want to pull Deshaun Watson from games earlier so that there's less injury risk over the course of a full season um which would be i guess an option if you're not winning and don't want to hurt your franchise guy um but if that's the case you're p- t- pulling him out because you're losing games you're definitely not pulling him out if you're winning games and if and if that's the case you don't care who you put in as long as it's not Deshaun Watson and AJ McCarron's name is not Deshaun Watson, so you shouldn't give a shit. Um, Absolutely. So I, yeah, I don't get it. If they were bringing him on as a coach, I would get it. Um, totally. Because mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it just doesn't matter.
1: Oh at, my you day. know, what? What team is in the midst of a head coach search after recently firing their longtime head coach? The Houston Texans who might be a good guy to have on the inside, maybe not necessarily as a head coach, but uh offensive coordinator, oh, quarterback
0: coach. Definitely at least a QB coach. This is That's an interesting point, man. Yeah, absolutely. He has talked about wanting to make that transition.
1: Huh. I wouldn't be against it. I think he could be a pretty fantastic coach. That being said, I absolutely would not want to see him diving headfirst into the Houston Texans head coaching vacancy because that's not really setting him up for much success. Um, but it, it, there are worse places he could be going.
0: Yeah. Now, I I am immediately in love with this theory. I think we've just solved it. Sweet. Sweet, 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 sweet,
1: sweet. Um, um. All right. So... We still have
0: Antonio Brown. I think yeah, that Antonio was the Brown. only other thing we had.
1: Okay. Uh, is, before we get back into it, are there any other topics that you would want to go over?
0: Not that I can think of. Like I said, I do want to talk about Tony Larusa, but I think that's a full conversation because there's so many reasons why that hiring is ridiculous, um, right. and also would it's you, just it's just not pressing. Um,
1: would you want to save that for the bold predictions podcast and keep the baseball stuff together?
0: That's exactly what I was thinking, yeah. yeah. Well,
1: um, so,
0: paper. yeah, you know it, buddy. Um, so that's really it, unless there's any storylines heading into this weekend's slate of football games you can think of, but I don't think so.
1: Um, um, the Steelers are playing a Cowboys team that's looked completely lost for the majority of the season, um, and is going to be starting a truly a really atrocious uh, quarterback. At I think it's either Cooper Rush or, like, Something Gilbert, something like that. Uh, uh, bro, is... Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> <laughs> Gilbert Gottfried. Honestly, not the worst option.
0: I would do an impression, but it would be super loud, and I don't want to yell in my apartment.
1: I, I really think that if the Cowboys did start Gilbert fucking Gottfried at quarterback, that it would instantly become two, three, four times as more enjoyable than watching Ben DiNucci play a game. Uh, but um, they'd have to
0: change their name to the the Dallas Aristocrats.
1: And I honestly think the Steelers' D-line would actually go easier on him because of it. I don't think oh, they'd he... try to sack him. I think they would just play out to, you know. No, because I think Gobert Godfrey getting actually murdered by Bud Dupree and TJ Watt would be fucking hilarious.
0: Well, no, they wouldn't do that. He would just make them laugh too much. And, they, they, and then he'd sneak by him and run his small little old man legs down the field.
1: He'd be calling out, like, protections and adjustments at the right. end. Nobody would be able to focus because they're just laughing at, like, him making those kind of things. Just and that's,
0: that's all I want, man. That's um, what we're in for on Sunday.
1: I know neither of us are actors, producers, or have any capacity to produce live content with or without any famous actors. But I think we need to put that kind of skit together.
0: Well, when we get the juicing, the numbers, the YouTube channel up and going, that'll be the first thing we do. Oh god! Oh god!
1: So I feel like we're just going to include that in the uh in the podcast now.
0: It's probably making its way in, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's too good. That that's just prime content right there. <laughs> um. All right, all right. Should we talk about Antonio Brown?
1: Yeah, probably should, Mister Big Chest.
0: Mr. I completely forgot that was his nickname until you had said it, and I'm reminded by how about how fucking dumb that was at the time, and how poorly it's aged since then. Not because he's done anything Mr. Big Chest related, but just how goofy it sounds, especially out of context. Um, but MBC, as it was, has signed a one year 1.67 million dollar contract with the tampa bay buccaneers in an attempt to um connect with tom brady again for hopefully at least one more game um on a different team he'll be facing a cap hit sorry tampa bay will be facing a cap hit of 1 million dollars and um being with the prorated salary antonio brown is slotted to make 1 million dollars um this feels like a high risk high reward player um it's high risk not because of money but because Antonio Brown is an animal um i'm genuinely shocked he's allowed to play football uh because of all the controversy he had been he had been embroiled in just last season but um mm-hmm. if Bruce Arians feels as though he can keep the locker room together in the wake of the Antonio Brown addition and Antonio Brown can play even remotely well because his salary is so low at 1 million dollars um it'll immediately have value respective to money so it's a, it's a risk in terms of just how everything on that team is put together especially with him being so accustomed to being a wide receiver one and that might not be his role um he is 32 but it certainly has its upside what do you think
1: from a purely football perspective i think this is a great signing for the bucks A $1 million deal for a 32-year-old Hall of Fame receiver, well, would have been Hall of Fame receiver, is, you know, exceptional, you know, nearly on par with uh, Cam Newton signing. Um, I still think at 32 years old, even not playing football in what seems like five years, Antonio Brown is still likely, you know, maybe not on the Bengals, but one of the top wide receivers they would have on their team. Um... Again, though, uh, you can't. I, I do want to add, though, football side. He is the exact kind of player that Tom Brady loves at wide receiver. That's why he wanted him in um, New England. That's why he wanted. Wait, to wait, wait. Him Antonio in. Brown's
0: Where? not white. Tom Brady only throws to white people. Didn't you know that? That's why he brought you know Gronk I with I totally him. Totally
1: forgot. That's on me. You, I should have known better.
0: <laughs> just wait. Just wait until Tampa Bay gets Braxton Berrios and Chris Hogan. Then we're talking. Oh,
1: Good. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> so, football wise, I think this is fantastic. I think it's going to work out football wise. Um, but of course, we don't live in a vacuum. This team is not going to operate in a vacuum. And there is so much baggage that comes along with the fact that. Antonio Brown is a raging fucking psychopath, and not only would I not even consider bringing him into my locker room outright, I think in a very relaxed, non-necessarily regimented locker room and team setting like Bruce Arian runs, and what it will be like in Tampa Bay, I don't think Tom Brady being there, and I don't think Antonio Brown being in the same wide receiver room as Chris Godwin and mike evans is going to do anything to slow down the craziness and i know tom says oh this is going to be a great place for him to mature no that was that was russell wilson that said that so i don't even know what tom brady's going to do with him besides also
0: mature we're talking about a 32 year old man right. um i you know everyone's capable of change blah 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 blah, blah. anyway um this is a this is a relatively similar, just in terms of football and dollars conversation that we had, had um, I don't know, six months ago, whenever it was announced that Cam Newton was going to the Patriots about Cam Newton, because again, with who that player once was and how little money is being committed to that player, it really doesn't take much for that contract to be worth it. Um, like legit, if 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 Antonio Brown is just, you know. A, a good wide receiver too. Like all of a sudden this contract is phenomenal. Like mm-hmm. it really, it really won't take much for it, for this to be worth it. Um, just in terms of yards and touchdowns to dollars and cents, but yeah, you know, I, I guess we'll see.
1: There are just so many ways that it could just go so poorly.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, if, if this team is winning, I think everything's going to be fine. And that's true of a lot of teams. Um, but not every team can handle losing. The Jets, for instance, are very young, and they're actually doing a phenomenal job of handling losing. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they're just really young. Um, and, you know, they're, they're all just trying to work on their own aspects of the game. There was no concept that they were going to be good, yada, yada, yada. I'm not sure this Bucks team is going to be able to handle a losing skid. I'm not saying that's where they're headed, but I would not want to be in that locker room if this Bucks team hit a losing skid.
1: Yeah. And honestly, I, I don't necessarily think that Antonio Brown is the kind of guy at this point where if it is a winning team, he's going to be fine and happy because I think he's going to be the diva that he has been for the past couple years. I think he's going to go out and complain, oh shit, I'm not getting the the targets I want. I'm not getting the the market share that I'm supposed to be getting as Antonio Brown. Uh and I just man, I just think this is gonna go south real quick. Yeah,
0: well it, it's it's either going to be uh going like gangbusters and it's not an issue, or it goes the way of the Dallas Cowboys where that team is ready to revolt.
1: Yeah. Oh boy. What a They're fun getting... spectacle that would be. Yeah. But that team is is nearing just rock bottom levels of Apathy, I guess, towards the season and just not giving a shit. Uh yeah.
0: I, I mean, I like... good. I was gonna say, I think, I think we're getting ready to see Jerry, Hon- Jerry Jones' head on a spike at the end at the end of a practice in the coming weeks.
1: Yeah, no kidding.
0: I mean, he um, is just doing a terrible, terrible job.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I yeah. granted, we're never gonna see Jerry Jones's head on a spike. Uh, that just won't happen because it's Jerry Jones. And the fact of the matter is, and murder is he illegal. Wait, team, wait. He's still the owner. Um, But boy, they, they need to figure their shit out because they are just all over the place.
0: Dude, can you, uh, this is a side note and we can, we can um uh, kind of wrap on the player discussion before we make a, a brief exit point on the Steelers. Um, Can you, wrap your mind around the concept that the um, Cowboys got rid of Jason Garrett and hired Mike McCarthy, and that was a bad decision? Because even though I didn't have huge faith in Mike McCarthy, I would have thought it would have been a net positive.
1: Right. I think Jason Garrett was so worn through his welcome uh, in Dallas. I think even getting a guy as just stubborn – uh, and unoriginated. Un, I'm just gonna give up and trying to attempt to pronounce that. Um, just a guy with no creativity in the way he coaches and calls plays, like Mike McCarthy. You know, yeah, obviously that would have been an improvement in everyone's mind. But man, Mike McCarthy has just shown that Green Bay moving on from him several years too late was still several years too late and it's you know him buying a a pro football focus subscription wasn't exactly you know enough to really spark that man's career for a second wind but he he has to be one and done it like oh god i don't see any way that he sticks around for a second season in dallas
0: no and and i think think
1: full tear down at this point
0: i truly hope Coaching that, was. that Mike McCarthy is the is the symbolic um, switch between continuously hiring good old boys in the NFL for head coaching jobs and hiring young dudes who actually have ideas, um, because if I'm Jerry Jones and I'm getting desperate, you got to take a swing, man. Like you got to you got to go out there and try something funky, get a get a guy to college, you know, get, get a young head coach out of college that can, you know. Be your Sean McVay or some shit, but you can't keep hiring old dudes who have been in the NFL for a bunch of years and have just gotten by on that. But I guess, uh, guess we'll see.
1: I mean, if this week has taught me anything, it's that you know, having high hopes of the American people, and uh, especially Texans, to you know, open up their minds to new ways of thinking, and uh, you know, cast away those those good old boys and just that, that old stuck in the mud logic and thinking is just too much to ask.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If this week has taught us anything, it's don't trust the whites. Um, all right. Last, last point, I guess before we, we run on out of here, um, your Pittsburgh Steelers are still undefeated. They are the only remaining undefeated team. Um, and they are about to play (laughs) the, uh, soon-to-be-decapitated-owned um, uh, Dallas Cowboys, followed by the Cincinnati Bengals, followed by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Is yes. it unrealistic to say that the Steelers could go 10-0? and Yes. That's unrealistic.
1: That is unrealistic. It is Where the Pittsburgh you- Steelers. They, as much as any other team in the history of football, have the reputation of being of playing to their opponent's skill level when they play in big games they usually keep it fairly close they play well you know they are smooth and focused and when they play shit teams which it happens every single year they play down to their level and they find a way to lose a game to a a truly embarrassingly bad team um it, it's something I have talked about with other Steelers fans where this is probably the scariest three game stretch of our entire schedule because this is like a, this will be the, the telling point, not the turning point, but the telling point for how how unique and how special of a season this is going to be for the Steelers. Um, if they're able to come through undefeated and go into the, the rematch with the Ravens uh, at Heinz Field, 10-0, that's going to be massive, truly massive, and I think they're going to be um, fairly unstoppable uh, throughout the rest of the season. I don't think they'll go undefeated in any stretch of the, the, you know, the term. I don't even know where I was going with that. Um, but I, I would not be surprised in the slightest if they lose a game. My prediction would be the Bengals because Joe Burrow is actually a capable quarterback. And even though their offensive line is one of the worst I've ever had the uh, pleasure of watching, um, I think he's the most skilled of them all to pull out a win. Ben DiNucci and Cooper Rush do not scare me. Um, The Jaguars, while I do think that could be a, a tougher game than you would imagine. Um, and Garner Minshew will likely have some magic plays. Um, I, I would put my money on the Bengals.
0: Well, I am going to be the optimist and say the Steelers go 10-0. To to um, and I don't even care. I just, I just am shocked, um, at how fortunate these next few games are and combined with how damn good the Steelers are. Um, mm-hmm. It is so wacky, but I'm kind of here for it as a non Steelers, as a Steelers not fan or whatever. Um, I
1: mean, don't get me wrong. I still, you know, I still think they will go undefeated through 10 games. I do think they will win all three of those. Um, But I just would not be surprised if they were the Steelers that I've known and loved for so long. But I mean, they have as complete of a team this year as I've ever seen. Um, So. This should be the year that they uh, they bucked the trend.
0: All right. I guess we will find out over the next few weeks, and we will talk about it as things happen. Uh, there's other things that have happened around the world of the NFL. There's been a ton of COVID-19 um, reserve placements in the NFL this week. Uh, Matt Stafford, Debo Samuel, a few others. Uh, we will see once again if these end up being very suspicious um false positives of which i've never heard of happening more than has happened in the nfl this season but we'll keep an eye on it and if anything happens we'll talk about it next week um as of right now it's a lot of just stuff kind of coming out not sure there's anything to talk about yet if we don't know what the status is going to be going into um out of this sunday's games or even next week's games but so we'll leave it at that um If you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at JuicingPod. If you want to hit us up via email, you can do so at juicethenumbers at gmail.com. And until Monday, y'all have a good one. Bye.